Welcome to Fruit Loops episode 12. Thank you so much for listening. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that we don't hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are white. There are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that the media and entertainment leave out commonly because the news is racist. (laughs) And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. We are not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Uh, Some of the things that we discuss on this podcast may be triggering and or disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. And sometimes we use profanity. Listener discretion is advised. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com. Enter at your own risk. So um, before we get into it, we just want to let you know what you'll be hearing and that uh, today's episode is about Josephine Gray, also known as the Black Widow. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so how are you, Beth? I'm okay. I'm I'm tired. <laughs> ah. I didn't get didn't get much sleep last night, so I was a big crab today. Is there something troubling you in your life? <laughs> That's none of my beeswax. <laughs> is, there, is there something keeping you up? No, I don't know why I can't sleep. I think I suspect it's hormones. Oh, but, uh, yeah. Oh. Well, I too am uh, having trouble sleeping, uh, and I am so looking forward to this holiday weekend. It's it, We're recording this just before Labor Day weekend, and um, I am so tired. <laughs> I haven't I'm slept. I'm down for the weekend, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, I will doing lots, lots of um, nothing. People are like, oh, what plans do <laughs> you have? I'm like, nothing. <laughs> Capital N O. Thing, okay. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I haven't slept very many hours, like consecutive hours of the night. I keep waking up. I've tried melatonin, which usually works, um, but it just hasn't been liking lately. So like um, it helps me fall asleep, but it doesn't keep me asleep. Um, and so I am not running at a hundred percent. So I had a meeting this morning at like eight and I wore a suit to the meeting and I've just been going and going and going. And so like, just too tired to take, I'm still wearing a goddamn suit <laughs> at, at 8 PM in the evening, oh, most uncomfortable man. piece of clothing. I'm so tired and busy at the same time that I haven't been able to take it off. So anyway, well, that's uh, I can relate. I'm sorry. Yeah. Hey, hey. it ebbs and flows, right? I mean, yeah, who knows? maybe next does. week. I'll be like, oh, I'm so well rested. I don't know. Uh, yeah, Maybe. we can we can dream. Maybe you will too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, now we are going to get into some shout outs. Um, Beth, do you got anything good to tell us about? Yeah, I just wanted to recommend a movie uh, that I watched a while back. It's a documentary called Real Engine, and it's spelled R E E L. 
And mm. uh, it's a 2009 Canadian uh, documentary film directed by Cree filmmaker Neil Diamond, uh, Catherine Bainbridge, and Jeremiah Hayes. And it explores the portrayal of Native Americans in film. And Ooh. I thought about it recently because I saw it listed on uh, Tubi TV, which is a mm-hmm. free streaming app. I don't know if you've used that before. No, but I have to. Yeah, I was me. also gonna. <laughs> I was also <laughs> gonna recommend that they have a lot of like old movies on there and uh, some TV shows. Uh, nothing, nothing uh, like big like Netflix or. Uh, Amazon mm-hmm. Prime or anything like that, but they there's still a lot of gold to mine in there, and it's free, mm-hmm. so you can uh, get an app for your phone, or um, if you have a smart TV, you can uh, get their app on your smart TV and uh, stream some stuff. Can you get it on? Uh, I was just I was just looking in the app looking in the app store for it. I got it. I do- downloaded it through uh, Google the Google Play thing. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Perfect. So yeah. And uh, so anyway, the movie Real Engine is on there, and I recall uh, watching it uh, a while back. It's probably years now. Uh, I found it really interesting, and they talked about like how Native Americans were portrayed in early movies, uh, pretty pretty awfully, <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> uh, movies yes, later on, on. <laughs> <laughs> movies later on where they're. Uh, portrayed better and and then movies where uh uh native americans are actually portrayed as human beings so <laughs> imagine that like, just like everybody else just like everybody <laughs> so, else yeah and there were some uh movies on there that i had never watched uh that i ended up watching because they sounded interesting like well s- they one of the movies they talked about was Smoke Signals. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I haven't. Yeah, What's it that's about? a that's a good one. Um, it's about Native, uh, Americans? Native Americans. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, okay. it's just a story. I think it's a. Uh, uh, I'm trying to remember because I watched it a long time ago. It's a boy. I think he's looking for his father, or something mm-hmm. like that. And okay. uh, yeah, it's just a, a human interest story, but the the characters are all Native American. Oh, that's nice. Well, thank yeah. you, Beth, for the, uh, the shout out. I am sure. downloading the app as we speak. Um, my shout out is to Flint Town. It is a docu-series on Netflix, and it takes a look at the state of policing in America through the experiences of the Flint, Michigan Police Department. And in the series, the filmmakers uh, embed themselves with the officers as they face um, infrastructure issues like the Flint water crisis, um, decreasing resources like Um, They're talking about how the department doesn't have any money and all of this while risking their lives to protect and serve the community of around 100,000 people. And what's wild is there are less than 100 police in this town of 100,000 people. And when I heard that, I was like, well, that that doesn't seem like a big deal. But my husband said it's like the least in the country or something like that per capita. Um, Wow. He um, started watching it 
the documentary before I did. So I caught, caught on like episode two or three. So they might've gave those stats at the very beginning and I missed them. So um, don't quote well, You're going to have to rewatch that so you can see the stats. I, I know. Oh, well, cause you know how I feel about stats, I, right? I know you love stats. <laughs> I love those stats. Um, and the, the time period that it takes place is really interesting too. Cause it's from November, 2015 to early 2017. And that's the same time frame as the 2016 presidential election. And, uh, it is really, really good documentary, really well done. Interesting to hear all the different, different perspectives. Um, there are a lot of Trump supporters on this police force and they are very, very candid about um, why they voted for him. And it really all had to do with their fear of losing their opportunities, their, their, their status. Um, right. Now, I don't agree with why these people voted for them, for him, but um, hearing them explain it in a manner where they're not yelling and shouting like, you know, F black, black lives matter or, you know, at a rally somewhere just to hear a right. normal conversation. I'm like, Oh, don't agree, but I understand. You were afraid. But makes okay. sense, yeah. Makes sense, yeah. And then there are uh, black police officers who are just as candid about the truth about policing poor neighborhoods of color um, in Flint and um, the reality from both sides of the law. And I can't say enough about the documentary because it is, um, you know, it's, it, it's, uh, these people are having conversations that we should be having with each other on a daily basis anyway. Um, conversations with us in the form of a documentary interview. Um, so I just think it's really neat. So Flint Town, yeah. it's on Netflix. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, thanks. So um, now we're going to get into some true crime news. What do you got for us, Beth? Well, on August 28th in Dallas, Texas, a white ex-police officer by the name of Roy Oliver was found guilty of murder for killing a black teenager. I am. Yeah, you very, very, it. very rarely I... ever see that. Woo! We were so happy at our house. Woo! We were running and jumping and praising Jesus. <laughs> Haven't been to church in years, but we were praising Jesus. So... <laughs> This is good. News. So, uh, what happened was Jordan Edwards, who was a 15 year old high school freshman, he was a passenger in a car leaving a house party when uh, Oliver opened fire on it on April 29th, 2017. These kids were uh, at this house party, and mm -hmm. um, the officers had been dispatched to the house party in Balch mm -hmm. Springs on a call of underage drinking. Oliver said that while he was at the home, he heard gunshots outside. And I read also that the gunshots were like way down the street somewhere else. But he said uh -huh. he heard gunshots and believed that there was a shooter. So he went outside. He saw the car carrying the five unarmed teenagers. Uh, he, he testified that he felt he had no choice but to use deadly force. He claimed okay. that he fired. <laughs> he claimed that he fired on the car after seeing it move towards his partner, Officer Tyler Gross, thinking the officer's life was in danger. But Officer Gross testified that he did not fear for his life and he did not feel the need to fire his weapon. So, yeah, that makes mm. no sense because. Thank mean, you, Brother Gross. Like, 
Yeah. If he felt like he was in danger, then he would have taken out his gun, but he didn't. So. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So Oliver had been hired in 2011 and 2013. He was suspended and required to take anger management classes after having erupted in a courtroom. (laughs) He was angry because he had, (laughs) he had to attend court. (laughs) So I guess he was a little grumpy that day. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, All right. I was just going to say, white guys are so lucky because when they're mad, they can just blow up at people in places yeah. like courtrooms. Like you and I are both tired. We're both grumpy, but we would not be caught dead blowing up at somebody in a courtroom. In a courtroom. No. No. Yeah, that's okay. just crazy. So, yeah, he was suspended. For that, and he had to take anger management classes. Apparently, it didn't work. Um, And he was fired from the Balch Springs Police Department after the shooting. And then I just wanted to say that after the verdict was read, Jordan's father, Odell Edwards, said that he wanted to jump up and down and that he was thankful. We all were. Yeah. (laughs) We all were so thankful. Um, This felt like, this verdict felt like, Oh, finally, like this is the beginning of um, maybe now, um, you know, hopefully there won't be future, you know, Trayvon Martins or Tamir Rice's or Sandra Bland's, um, but that um, this young man um, that hit Jordan Edwards um, is the turn of the tide and in the future that justice will be be served and maybe this um police brutality brutality against um young men of color in particular um but um women too um will uh you know not i'm sure it's it won't disappear but perhaps it will curb it so i we were we were we were all excited about this so thank you for sharing that news i am so happy you shared it (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna do a cartwheel wheel kick hang on I'm um, just kidding. <laughs> so um, my news is there's another mass shooting. Whoa. Would you believe it? Yeah. Yeah, I kind of um, do believe it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this time it took place in Jacksonville, Florida at a gaming event. David Katz, a 24-year-old gamer from Baltimore, Maryland, he's a white guy, came to Jacksonville for the event. And he actually won the event the year before. Um, People say that he was the kind of guy who was not there to make friends. He was arrogant and he was angry that he did not win this year. And shots rang out as event goers were playing the Madden video game. And there is audio of the shooting and it is quite chilling. Um, And we can certainly link it up in the show notes. But I mean, if you haven't heard it by now, where have you been? Um, I actually haven't haven't heard it. Come again. I I haven't (laughs) heard it. (laughs) No, because I I kind of don't want to. (laughs) Oh, Mm -hmm. yeah, I would say um, it's not one of my favorite snippets of audio I've heard in my in my lifetime. In your life. Yeah. Yeah. People are like, screaming you can hear people shuffling um their game pieces away one guy's like what the you know what the beep did he shoot me with and it's just oh my pop, pop 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 um wow. and uh so it's uh it's uh scary so if you've got the stomach for it um listen to it you will be outraged and at least we can use our outrage to do something about it but yeah um it is but quite chilling um 
The Jacksonville Sheriff's Officer identified the victims as Eli Trueboy Clayton, he was 22, and Taylor, spot me please, Robertson, he was 27. Um, I'm assuming those are their screen names or their game yeah, names. Yeah, that's what I think, yeah. Yeah, and um, both were competitive Madden players, and Robertson actually won the Madden Classic that year. And uh, there is a photo of just after Robinson won, um, and just before he was shot with a red light on pointed on his oh my God. hoodie on his chest and it's i can only presume the murder it's the murder weapon aimed at his chest yeah. and um so that's wild six other people were wounded two of the victims remain in the hospital the names of the victims who have been released are george amadeos he was 17 uh david echevaria 28 alexander um, Mad Madunik, 27, and Christopher McFarland, who was 31. Um, lots of things hit me about this case. First of all, I know very little about Florida other than the wild stuff we hear in the news. But when I saw the news uh, interviewing people, I noticed, whoa, there is a ton of black people on the news being <laughs> asked all these questions. At first, I thought it was just a gaming thing for black people, um, but it wasn't. Uh, turns out there's just a big black population in Jacksonville, and there's also a, a growing movement of black gamers. Um, and then uh, the last thing I wanted to point out was Washington has not said a thing about condemning the acts of this killer. Um, hmm. so there you have it. There's another one. So yeah. there we go. So that's it for news. Hope you guys okay. feel uplifted. <laughs> <laughs> the truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me. Murder in House 2. A new podcast from Crowd Network. Hello. This is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Wendy, do you love me? Are you writing? Say so you never, ever leave from this podcast because I want you. I just so that's our, uh, <laughs> we're back. Uh, and that was our uh, I just did the Kiki challenge for the show. <laughs> have you seen any of those videos on like Facebook? I have. There, there's one out of where guy walks into a poll. It's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> um, but 
uh, murder is not hilarious, but um, no. we are going to do this subject matter and we're going to have fun with it. And if you don't like it, then don't listen. Uh, Josephine <laughs> Virginia Gray, a.k.a. the Black Widow, um, is who we'll be, we'll be talking about today. And she killed two of her husbands and boyfriend. Uh, let's get into some stats. All right. Uh, <laughs> she was born in 1946. Again, she's responsible for three murders um, one, uh, over the span of a very long time, decades. Um, the first one, March 3rd, 1974. Second one, November 9th, 1990. And the last one, June 21st, 1996. Um, she was arrested December 5th, 2001. Her victims were first- Norman Stribling, he was her husband, second, William Robert Gray, another husband, and Clarence Goode, her boyfriend. Um, this took place in Montgomery slash Baltimore, or as the locals will call it, Baltimore, uh, Maryland. <laughs> and uh, she was sentenced to 40 years in prison uh, in December of 2002. Um and then she was resentenced to 40 years in prison in 2006 for insurance fraud. So let's go. All right. So uh, Gray, Josephine Gray was a mother of six, a grandmother of 11, and a former, former school janitor who scrubbed restrooms and mopped gym floors for most of her adult life. Working from 1967 to 1998 as a custodian for the Montgomery County Public Schools. Then after retiring, she provided daycare in her home. Uh, but family members describe a woman who was flamboyant, a flaunter, and who acted like she came out of a modeling school. <laughs> to me, she sounds <laughs> fabulous. Yeah. Um, and also was fabulous. Fabulous. <laughs> Jazz hands. Fabulous. All right. Uh, <laughs> so this took place in Baltimore in the 70s, 80s and 90s. Um, Baltimore has an enormous black population. I didn't know this. And after what happened to my son, I might even consider moving there. Um, she uh, the population of. Uh, I think I saw in the last sentence or, or the last census, it's over 50%, like between 50 wow. and 75% black people, but it is wow. also very segregated. So um, a little history lesson um, in the fifties uh, and sixties and seventies, uh, there's this uh, thing called the Great Migration, and that is when black people were fleeing terror, white terrorism in the South Um to places like Baltimore and Chicago, these northern cities where they uh, were able to find work um, and not get killed. Um, well, not get hung from a tree, I guess. Baltimore <laughs> has a poor history with regard to race. And um, you can just look at the race riots in 1968. Um, those happened at, around the time Martin Luther King got shot and, this, and the city erupted to the death of Freddie Gray in 2015. And I was wondering if Freddie Gray and Josephine Gray were related, but I do huh. not know. Um, it's possible. By the way, possible um well maybe maybe their ancestors had the same slave holder <laughs> and they all just took that name. i don't know <laughs> josephine gray gray was her married name so it would have been her husband oh oh who she killed okay, so maybe her <laughs> yeah who she killed right maybe, maybe that was maybe that's maybe that's freddie's long lost cousin but um i did want to shout out to um another podcast 
we are podcast freaks, so we will frequently um, shout them out on this show. Um, but anyway, it's Undisclosed, The Killing of Freddie Gray. And um, the podcast takes a remarkably detailed look at Baltimore's history, the events surrounding the murder of Freddie Gray by, by police. And if people don't remember, Freddie Gray was the, that young black kid who he just saw the police looking at him and he ran away from them. Um, and they broke his neck and gave him a rough ride. And then he later succumbed to his injuries in the hospital. And to say Baltimore's police department has a, a uh, problematic history and present is an understatement. Planting evidence, doctoring CCTV Whoa. videos, oh, and killing uh, an unarmed black man are just some of their greatest hits. Wow. It's a great podcast. It's, uh, uh, you know, that uh, Rabia. She did the serial podcast about yes, um, yes. Adnan. Was it Adnan? Uh-huh. And he Adnan. ended up getting Yeah. So she's one of the hosts. So anyway. Oh, okay, cool. Um, so I also wanted to mention that Baltimore is infamous for its high crime rate, mostly concentrated in low in- income areas. And the TV show The Wire was based in Baltimore. Did you watch The Wire? So we we are uh I think five episodes into season one. And oh, really? Is it intense? It's, yeah. It is a great show. Yeah. You watched all of it? All six? What is all it? Of six it. seasons? Seven seasons? Yeah, Ooh, something like that. Really? Yeah, yeah years ago. Like, so it, it's probably worth a rewatch, to be honest, because I can't uh, remember a lot. But it, it's, yeah, it's intense. Uh, yeah. It's just an awesome show. It's like one of, I, I would say, one of the greatest shows ever made really that's so i that's the sentiment f- from everywhere about the show and that's why me and my husband got into it this summer you know there's not that much on tv in the summer so whew, yeah it is a very good show yep it is I want to take a moment to tell you about my podcast, Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage. In 1984, a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight, tortured, and left to die in a burning car in Akron, Ohio. At the time, I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story. Since then, I've reported every kind of crime imaginable. I've been able to leave most of them at work, but not this one. The one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. A production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network, you can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at KillerPodcast.com. So um, now let's get into the story, never-ending story. Uh, Boy, you're you're all dude, musical today. <laughs> I am all musical today. Um, well, it's because um, so Aretha Franklin passed away, and oh, she's probably right. up in heaven, just 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 serenading everybody. But I've been like. <laughs> so i've been just just singing stuff so anyway um on march 3rd 1974 norman stribbling josephine's husband at the time was found murdered he died of a single gunshot wound to the right side of his head and it appeared that he had been a victim of robbery 
The couple had married in 1967 and had five children together. Wow. But the marriage became rocky when Norman discovered that Josephine was having an affair with a co-worker, William Robert Gray. Went by Robert. Josephine and Robert were suspected in the murder. And two witnesses claim that Gray had solicited them on separate occasions to murder Norman Stribling. Also, Stribling had told friends weeks before he was killed that his wife had tried to shoot him in the head one morning while they were in bed together. That's crazy. Get the fuck out of here. Okay. (laughs) Good morning. Boom. But he survived. He survived because the gun misfired. Norman also told family members that his life was in danger, but he didn't specify how. Okay. I, I, I do not understand this um, paying somebody else to hire or, or to, to kill somebody else. <laughs> there was a 2020 this weekend. There's like this famous case in Florida with this young, beautiful um, couple and the girl, um, hired somebody I think, to I know what you're talking kill her about. husband. Yeah. I, I wish I knew the name of the case. And then the police yeah. got wind. That's what she did. So they staged her husband's yep. like death. Murder. And she comes home, <laughs> the cameras are around and they're like, I'm sorry, ma'am, we have to tell you that your husband has been killed. And she she's like crying and like, oh, she put oh, she, so she, she should have gotten an Oscar. She 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 should have move out the way, Meryl Streep, because this girl's coming. So he so she goes to the police station to like talk about like, oh, I don't know how this could have happened. And her husband, Mike, walks into the police station and she's like, Oh what? no! They, oh no! Mike, please tell me what happened. So she's out. She's like out of jail right now. Um, and I think she? she might go. Yeah, she has a. She's on house arrest, and um, oh. she. I think she has to go to trial again. Um, and anyway, she has this wild ass uh defense, and uh, they're her claim is that they were trying to make a reality TV show that they were trying. Oh yeah. To- yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And, um, that she, she contacted this hitman um, so that it could be part of their, uh, TV story that it was never right. real, and, which is yeah. bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's, that uh, is really like digging the bottom of the barrel for that one. <laughs> for sure. So yes. Uh, Robert and Josephine were, wait a minute. Oh, yeah. Robert and Josephine were um, arrested and charged with the murder, but all charges were dropped. And a short time later, when witnesses, including some family members, refused to cooperate. And uh, Ms. Josephine received $16,000 from Stripling's life insurance. Cha-ching! It doesn't seem it doesn't seem like a lot of money for killing somebody, but you know, I, I guess so it was either. 1974, so it probably would be a lot more. Was only yeah. employed as a janitor, so you know, to yeah. her it would have been like money, 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 money. Yeah. <laughs> money. <laughs> Robert Gray and Josephine met while they were cleaning offices, and they began an affair. Although both were married to other people. Robert eventually left his family to be with Josephine. His family said later that after meeting Josephine, Robert underwent a profound personality change. His whole demeanor demeanor just changed, his former wife said. He was distant. He stopped going around to his friends, his family, everybody. I knew something had to be wrong. This woman had so much hold over this man. 
Josephine and Robert Gray had a child and married in November of 1975. Um, wow. Romantic, huh? <laughs> meeting meeting while cleaning offices. Bound chicka wow wow. Yeah. And then and then <laughs> cut to marriage and a baby. Uh on November 9th, 1990, Robert Gray, Josephine's second husband, got off work at Clopper Mills Elementary School, where he was building he was a building services manager and went home. Before he could take off his overcoat, someone fired two shots from inside his apartment. I wish we had a um gunshot gun. on the sound effect. <laughs> anyway, but we don't. Uh, inside his apartment, killing him. He was found face down and dead on the floor, having been shot in the chest and neck. The business card of a police detective lay feet from his body. He had visited the officer exactly one month earlier asking for help and nobody helped him. So, <laughs> so he, he was, wasn't he the one he was telling? I think he was telling people like, I'm kind of concerned <laughs> and yeah, went to the police yeah. and nobody, nobody was like, I could at least go knock on a door and, and ask some questions. <laughs> no. All right. You get the hip hop air horn. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't have it handy. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna ask you before we started to get your uh, hip hop air horn ready. Okay, there we go. Oh, finally, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Josephine and Robert Gray had separated, and Robert had left their Gaithersburg house in August 1990, telling family members that his wife was trying to kill him, and that she was having an affair. At the time, Josephine Gray was carrying on an affair with a co-worker and also with her teenaged cousin, Clarence Good, who lived with the Grays. Gross. I know. <laughs> Clarence Good was a shy but troubled teen who had come to live with the Grays in the mid-80s after getting into some trouble. Josephine had promised his family that she would raise the boy right. I think she broke mm. that promise. I think that she broke it in a number of ways, including yeah. sleeping with him. Yeah, that's terrible. Uh, um, I think it is strange. I just have to, I'm just trying to get into the mind of the killer. Your, your husband is already gone. Like, there's no reason for you to still be like fucking with him or messing with him. And, and he's gone. You already have a new piece of man meat. So why are you so focused on eliminating him? He's already been moved on. I don't know. Yeah, it's just crazy. I don't know. Yeah, it is crazy. Well, before his murder, Robert Gray had stated on numerous occasions that his estranged wife was trying to kill him. Robert actually filed a complaint with Montgomery County Police a few weeks before he was killed, or, or I guess maybe it was a month before. Um, he alleged that Josephine had assaulted him at his workplace, that she was swinging a club at him. What's who has a, a, a club in your house? Like a, <laughs> and, at, at a workplace? <laughs> what? Huh? Okay. Um, and lunging at him with a kitchen knife. And Clarence Good, he alleged, threatened him with a 9mm pistol. From August through October 1990, Robert Gray changed several of his life insurance policies to remove Josephine Gray as a beneficiary. Robert Gray's assault case against Josephine came up for a hearing on October 5th, 1990. 
but was continued by the court until November. That same day, Robert claimed that as he was driving home, he noticed his wife's car behind him. She was flashing her lights and signaling for him to pull over, but he opted not to. (laughs) Uh, Okay. I don't think so. (laughs) Josephine. I'm good. Bye. (laughs) Josephine then drove alongside him, and as he looked over, he said he saw Clarence sit up from a reclining position and point a gun at him. Then they sped off. Robert reported no! this to Yeah. <laughs> Robert reported this to police and a new warrant was sworn out against the pair. But one week before November sixteenth, which is the trial date, Robert Gray mm-hmm. was discovered dead in his apartment. Shit. Police surmised he had been surprised by his assailant because he had not even had time to remove his overcoat. Wow, that is that's like a movie scene that, it that is. driving up next to him, and then like a dude pops up pops up with oh my <laughs> with god a that's gun. So crazy with a it gun. Is. Oh my lord. All right. I was just thinking these people should have been on many people's prayer lists, but um, (laughs) the Norman Stribling murder case from 1974 was then reopened in August 1990 at the request of two children from the marriage of Josephine and um, Norman Stribling, who said they suspected their mother killed their father. Oh, that's awful. That's crazy. Yeah. To to go to to the um, extent of asking the police to open the case because you think your mother killed your father. That's she she must have been a great mom. <laughs> she must have. And I'm going to add that to the list of sayings I would never say to anybody. I think my mom. <laughs> I think my mom killed. Oh, gosh. OK, so in 1991, the state charged Gray with the murders of Norman Stribling and Robert Gray and good with the murder of Robert Gray. Uh, but the murder cases collapsed after they were um, granted bail. Hmm. Prosecutor Thomas Tam said there just was a marked difference in witness cooperation after she got out of jail. They were afraid that she had gotten away with murder in the past. And how did they know that she wasn't going to get away with murder again? Court documents from a later federal case allege that Gray intimidated potential witnesses and asked others to provide alibis. One of her daughters said she found a voodoo doll in her mother's house, and other relatives said she dabbled in voodoo and witchcraft. So, um, voodoo, again. Uh, we define voodoo in one of our... Again, it's, <laughs> it's interesting. We defined it before in one of our past episodes when we were talking about Clementine Barnabet, um, but we should define it, define it again for our listeners today. Voodoo is a religion that originates in Africa in the Americas and the Caribbean, it is uh, thought to be a combination of various African, Catholic, and Native American traditions. It is practiced around the world, but there is no accurate count of how many people are voodooists. Uh, when people were kidnapped from Africa and enslaved in the Americas, guess what? They brought their religions with them too. Um, voodoo has no scripture or world authority. It is a community-centered um, religion and supports uh, individual experience, empowerment, and responsibility. Um, I sound like I'm really caping for voodoo. I, <laughs> but I, 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 you're just uh, explaining it. Well, <laughs> I'm just explaining it. 
<laughs> Voodoo is different in different parts of the world um, and varies from community to community. But the voodoo that we're most familiar with is what the voodoo in New Orleans and, and in Haiti. Um, voodoo and embraces and encompasses the entirety of the human experienced and it is characterized by sorcery and spirit possession. Yeah, and I think that's what scares Christians is the sorcery and uh, witch witchcraft, you know, uh Christians yeah, are always so afraid too. of witches. So I think that's what scares yeah. people about it. Anyway, uh, Gray and her attorneys called such claims absurd. I do not practice mm. no voodoo and I do not practice no witchcraft. Mm. She, she told them. Just because I go and buy a lucky charm to play the lottery or something or buy herbs and drink herb tea or take olive oil and anoint myself, that's in the Bible. She also said that accusations against her stemmed from jealousy among family members, including her children, who thought she wasn't paying enough attention to them. Gray denied having experience with witchcraft, saying, that's Satan and I don't deal with Satan. But uh, Lenron Good, who was the brother of Clarence Good, said, she's an evil witch doer. She has a long history of witchcraft. Ooh witchcraft Ooh, all right brother clarence okay uh well side note i must say that when we talk about these black women murderer cases uh they always seem to involve black magic and the voodoo thing does have merit in this case because there's evidence of it the voodoo dolls in her and that are you know were found in her home and um you know dead uh, that were made of dead lovers um and also the police i think wiretapped her house and um, recorded a ritual in which she mentioned the investigators working on the case and wishing them harm. I don't know if I necessarily buy that part, but I think, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's inappropriate to, to um, uh, believe that she might've been involved in that. But I just think it's weird that whenever these black lady murder cases come up, or even any women of color that they're like witch, they're like evil witches. Like like they can't just be. Yeah, it's it's that voodoo again. She's got that voodoo. So anyway, <laughs> that she do so out. well. <laughs> that she do so well. She's a black witch. She's a black witch. Or oh my gosh, I also have to comment on this. They called her a black widow because she killed her husband. But yeah, is there any race involved in that name too? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. My son was called the N-word, so I'm very sensitive right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did think about that, but there's lots of other... Uh, it's like every, every time women kill their husbands, they're called the Black Widow. So she's not the okay. only Black Widow, because I, I did Google okay. the Black Widow, and like a whole bunch of cases came up. So she's not the only one. Okay. Um, black Widows do kill. Oh, the ladies, the, the females. I listened to a podcast about spiders having sex recently. Don't ask. Anyway, <laughs> they 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 all kill. They all kill each other. They all kill each other after they mate. So anyway, oh, God. <laughs> but uh, is it always the female that kills it's the male? Always the, it's always the females doing the killing. So uh, black widows kill after they mate. And then um, there was like another w w spider from, I don't know if it was South America or something or Australia, but like uh, all the women spiders help raise the babies um, of their like sisters. And then oh, wow. when um, 
But the sisters put so much energy into raising and feeding the babies that they run out. They, they're like energy is depleted. And then the, the they just kids die. kill. The kids kill the. Oh, the kids kill them. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway. Wow. Um, okay, yeah, so spiders are gross. Is appropriate. <laughs> they are such messy hoes. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I mean. <sighs> The family dynamics. Anyway. <laughs> okay, so uh, on with the show. <laughs> in any case, despite being a suspect in her husband's murder, Josephine Gray collected over $54,000 from Mr. Gray's life insurance policies. Ooh, cha-ching. Uh, after Robert's death, Clarence Good and Josephine lived together from 1990 to 1996. And in March of 1996, Good applied for a $100,000 life insurance policy, naming <laughs> Josephine Gray as the sole beneficiary. But Clarence's relationship with Josephine soured, and he moved out of her home when she threatened him with a knife. I would too. Len Ron Good, Clarence's brother, claimed that Josephine kept Clarence isolated and that he had no car and no money. Clarence also told his brother that Josephine had even taken away the phone. Soon afterwards, Whoa. yeah, Clarence Good began to shuttle between relatives' homes in Baltimore, staying wherever he could find a bed. According to Veronica Davenport, Clarence's sister, Josephine didn't want Clarence to work. She suspected that Josephine panicked when he moved out and found a job and that she thought he might tell some, someone about Robert's murder. By 1996, Clarence Good had decided his life was in danger, according to family members. Uh, his brother said, that boy is scared to death. He knew he was going mm. to die. Mm. All right. Well, Clarence allowed the $100,000 $100, insurance policy um, with Josephine name as a beneficiary to lapse, but the insurance company was still sending his mail to Josephine's house and she learned that he was no longer paying the premiums, but that the policy would still remain in effect after 60 days. So she was running out of time. Yep. She had she, to get on it. She had, she had to get that money. She had to secure <laughs> that bag. <laughs> so on, and, uh, by the way, what? Oh, go ahead. I was going to say secure the bag is slang for um, get the money or get the opportunity. Anyway. Oh, good to know. Secure the bag. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that has been our, uh, uh, what do we, what should we call this? Our culture corner with Wendy and Beth. Next. <laughs> <laughs> we learned about uh, sneakerheads and today secure the bag. Securing the bag. All right. All right. <laughs> Okay, on uh, June 21st, 1996, Good's body was discovered in the trunk of his car in a high crime area of Baltimore. And I think uh, that's why she put the car there, because it was a high crime area and she hoped it looked like a, you know, he, a drug deal or something like that. Uh, mm -hmm. He'd been shot in the head with a nine millimeter handgun. When police mm -hmm. searched Josephine's home several weeks later, they found nine millimeter bullets and a large stain on the concrete of the garage floor, which tested positive for blood. However, they were unable to test it for DNA. And I think it's because they couldn't get a large enough uh, sample. 
Oh. And it was okay. the well, that, 90s. Yeah, it was early. So. Um, state charges were never brought against Gray due to lack of evidence, and insurance the insurance company paid Gray ninety thousand dollars. They played they paid Clarence Good's minor son that he had with another woman with the remaining ten thousand. In two thousand, Josephine told a friend, Wilma Jean Wilson, that she had killed her first husband, Norman Stribling, because she was tired right. of what. I was going to say, she told somebody she did it. Yep. What the? Okay. Anyway. <laughs> yep. Come she on. had to tell somebody. <laughs> these, tell people always, these people always seem to want to tell people. Uh, oh anyway, uh, she said it was because she was tired of being abused by him. According to hmm. Wilson, she told me that they had gone out for a ride and that she had shot him. She left the body over on River Road. And it was set up to look like it was a robbery. Gray then confessed to Wilson that she had also killed her second husband, William Robert Gray. Although Gray said she was alone with Stribling when she killed him, she had help killing Robert Gray. The help came from Clarence Good, Gray's cousin and boyfriend. Gray then explained to Wilson that afterwards Good had tried to blackmail her demanding money in exchange for his silence about the murder of Robert Gray. So she had to get rid of him too. Well, all right, Miss Josephine. Um, According to Wilma, Josephine's motivation in confessing her crimes was not a guilty conscience. Rather, she wanted Wilma's help in securing an insurance policy on her new boyfriend, Andre Savoy. Unaware of Josephine's reputation or as or as a voodoo or witchcraft practitioner, I like that, or unafraid of it, Wilma approached authorities with her information. So, thanks, uh, yeah, thanks. Um, <laughs> the state was unable to collect enough evidence to charge Gray with murder, but uh, police and prosecutors devised a, devised a new strategy, employing a tool mm. frequently used in racketeering cases. Federal authorities began a wire fraud investigation against Josephine. Although the state had never been able to prove murder, it is illegal to attempt to collect on an insurance policy of someone you have murdered. This so-called slayer rule. (laughs) (laughs) You can't burn down your house and be like, where's my money? (laughs) Well, you can, but uh, they're not going to give it to you. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> it's just a dumb move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so this like so-called Slayer rule then becomes a federal crime if you use a communications device to collect. Oh, that's some crazy nitpicking okay. right there. That is. They got they got smart. Way to go. Yeah. Well, um. This is this is this is going to get good. So authorities only had to establish to the satisfaction of the jury that Josephine had intentionally caused the deaths of the insureds and the crime was using a telephone. The new charges did not require that a jury find Gray or anyone else guilty of murder in order to convict. All right. So in November, a federal grand jury sitting in Greenbelt handed up an indictment charging Gray, 55, 
at the time having an mm-hmm. affair with a teenage mm-hmm. boy. <laughs> oh, Although, God, uh, you just pointed that out and I just realized how <laughs> wild that is. Oh, right. I, actually, um, I, I don't think he was a teenager. Um, when he died, I think he was he was in his 20s. So he wasn't a teenager mm. anymore, but still, you know, when she still was having an affair with young. him. Yeah, yeah very she old. was. Yeah. Okay. She was like in her late forties, early fifties. Yeah. Mm, come on, Robin the Cradle. Yeah. So anyway, um, she was indicted with mail and wire <laughs> fraud for collecting a total of one hundred and sixty-five thousand dollars from the three men's insurance policies, and then on December fifth, two thousand and one, Josephine Gray was arrested. Yay! You guys did it! (laughs) All right. Ohio is a land of mystery. From missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies. From myths that have evolved around historic events and people to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com On the morning of August 1st, 1966, Shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. So, Gray pleaded not guilty at a bond hearing. Josephine's attorney told the court, My client is a 55-year-old woman who has six children and 11 grandchildren. She's a hardworking woman who is trying to make ends meet. She is church-going. She's not a black widow. Um, But witnesses... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I don't have anything to say. I'm just shaking my head. (laughs) (laughs) But witnesses offered new information about the killings because they were less fearful of retaliation by Gray once she was in federal custody. Witnesses who came forward included Andre Savoy, who was Gray's boyfriend when she was arrested on federal charges in November. According to court papers, Savoy told police in 1990 that Gray had admitted to him that she planned to kill her estranged husband, Robert Gray. Savoy also told police that a few weeks before Robert Gray was shot to death, Josephine Gray pulled a 45 caliber 
I hope I'm saying that right. 45 caliber handgun from beneath her bed. Whoa. And said she would shoot anyone who came near her house at night, including Robert Gray. After her husband was killed with a 45 caliber handgun, Josephine denied to police that she ever owned such weapon. Come on, Josephine. (laughs) Savoy also (laughs) testified that Josephine told him she used a key she had to Robert Gray's apartment to let herself in and waited for him. Josephine said she dressed like a man, wore a coat and gloves, and surprised Robert Gray when he walked in with a six-pack of beer. Savoy said that he did not report this to authorities at the time because he loved her. Wow. Oh, Mm -hmm. my gosh. He also (laughs) claimed that Gray threatened to kill Savoy over the summer. She also called Savoy from a federal detention facility and told him to take the Fifth Amendment and remain silent rather than testify against her. Authorities did not know if this was a threat or if she was implicating him. According to court documents, prosecutors claim that Gray enlisted the help of each successive husband and boyfriend to commit murder on her behalf, first in 1974, then in 1990, and then in 1996. The second and third were suspected of killing the husbands that came before them. Prosecutors called a master called her a master manipulator who used new lovers, lovers to help her <laughs> kill men. She no longer wanted. (laughs) On August 16th, 2002, Gray was convicted of intentionally causing the death of William Robert Gray and Clarence Good, making it illegal for her to profit from those crimes by filing claims for their life insurance benefits. Gray was found guilty on eight counts of mail and wire fraud by a federal jury in U.S. District Court in Greenbelt. Prosecutors said she collected $165,000 in insurance money after two husbands were shot to death in Montgomery County and a young boyfriend was found dead in Baltimore. Gray appealed and on August 7, 2006, was resentenced to 40 years in prison because the appeal did not fly. <laughs> we got her! <laughs> um... Interestingly, United States attorney Rod Rosenstein, ever heard of him, thanked yep. the FBI <laughs> and and Montgomery County Police Department uh, and Baltimore City PD for their work. And he praised the U.S. attorneys who prosecuted the case. So, where are they now? Josephine Gray was convicted of the insurance fraud charges and sentenced to 40 years in prison. As she was 60 years old when she was resentenced uh, in August of 2006, it's likely that she will die behind bars. Although I wanted to uh, note that um, she never was uh, convicted of murder. I know. They got her Capone style, right? Yep, they sure did. (laughs) They followed the money. (laughs) So uh, what made her snap? (laughs) Um, Well, (laughs) I, to be honest with you, she's a mystery. I really, I wish we knew. We don't know how she grew up, but um, this is just from, from my eyes. She grew up as a black woman born in 
the 1940s, so we can only guess. I think her job as a janitor is kind of telling. I mean, I'm assuming she was poor and had few opportunities and used her beauty and sexuality to get ahead, get husbands, get money, you know, to to survive. Um, She just didn't really do it in a very good way. No. Um, And it's important (laughs) to point out that like before things like affirmative action or before people started to realize that diversity actually helps businesses bottom lines, um, check it, check the facts. People of color literally could not get certain jobs and um, move ahead. So I see Miss Gray as a horrible murderer, but also as an opportunist. Literally, all she had to do was buy an insurance policy. Somebody had to die. And then you get a chick versus having to clean toilets, barely making it. Okay, where do I sign to get the bag? Anyway, that's all I'm saying. Uh, Yeah, unfortunately, I couldn't find anything about Josephine's early life either. So we don't know what that was like or what kinds of things she dealt with as a child that could have led her to what she did as an adult. Um, It does seem like she just kind of did whatever she wanted to do without regard to how it affected other people, uh, like her children. Um, She didn't seem to have any guilt over the murders or about having affairs with married men or uh, her teenage cousin that she was supposed to be Mm. raising. (laughs) So So there was a distinct lack of empathy there. It's possible Mm -hmm. that using people and discarding them when she got tired of them made her feel powerful. It's also likely that the threat of using voodoo on people also made her feel powerful. Uh, The life insurance money factored in, of course, but I'm not sure that that was the primary motive. Mm, interesting take, Miss Beth. I like it. <laughs> um, well, this, I, okay, so I have a lot of things to say, but I don't want our episode to go too long. So if you guys are listening right now, um, please chime in on our Facebook discussion page or tweet us or email us. I want to know what you guys think. Yeah. Um, so now we're going to share some of our takeaways and, um, I guess I'll go first. So to me, it is troubling. So, okay. So there was this trash ass documentary on YouTube about, uh, Josephine Gray. (laughs) I think it was, uh, deadly, deadly women. Yes. Okay. And, um, it was troubling to see all these white people in this YouTube documentary, how they portrayed this black woman. So historically black women are portrayed like these highly like sexualized wild animal beings. And I found that very disturbing and (laughs) they make her seem like she's like this wild voodoo woman. And I'm not saying that she wasn't, but it's just disturbing to me that she was portrayed as like this archetype and the documentary make makers made it seem like Um, the world needed protection from this voodoo, evil voodoo black queen. And and all I have to say to that is get the fuck out of here. It is wildly and pleasantly surprising that the Baltimore police gave a shit about the black men that she was killing. And um, Gray got lots of money in insurance payouts, right? So part of me is like, oh, they are concerned about this black woman getting economically like stable um and that is what really bothered the police more than the men she killed just a theory i don't know shit as a reminder the baltimore police 
um, don't have that their history is problematic. So, um, uh, again, they killed Freddie Gray. And, um, also I wanted to point out that, uh, have you seen a picture of her? Cause she is gorgeous. Um, and she's the real evil genius. Are you listening? Yeah. Netflix, <laughs> knock, knock. This is the actual evil genius, Josephine Gray. <laughs> Unfortunately, for whatever reason, just kidding. I know why it, it rhymes with Macism. Anyway, I'm frustrated that we don't we don't know more about her. You know what's her background? What what what? We know so much about Ted Bundy and all these other dudes and and how how they're upbringing and and what shaped them to be the way they 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 were and the only only excuse we're given is that this one is a black sex crazed woman who's into voodoo come on yeah yeah give me more so there's more than that to the story (laughs) there's more than that yeah (laughs) Yeah. so hey and guess what black women love sex just as much as any other gal so we're not like (laughs) we're not like sex animals anyway Uh, so, uh, people wondered what it was about, uh, Josephine Gray that led men to leave their families to remain with her, even when they knew mm-hmm. previous lovers were murdered, probably by her, <laughs> and even to strange. assist in the murders. Red flag. Yeah. One theory that I read, um, that seemed to hold water is that the men were victims of abused spouse syndrome. A uh, neighbor of Josephine's claimed that her live-in boyfriend, I think it was Andre, Andre Savoy, uh, didn't mm-hmm. or couldn't go anywhere without her and that he got oh. locked out a few times because she wouldn't let him have keys to the house. <laughs> and oh, then if you remember my. Clarence Good, she took away the phone. She wouldn't let him have a job, um, stuff like that. And Robert Gray's mm-hmm. family said that his whole demeanor changed after he got together with Josephine, that he became distant and he stopped going around to his friends and family. Um, This is something Mm -hmm. that is often, that often happens when women are with uh, abusers um, Mm -hmm. and it's called isolation. The Mm -hmm. abuser isolates the abused from friends and family so that they can have more psychological control over them. Because if you have mm-hmm. friends and family, uh, then you can talk to them and tell them what's going on and they can, uh, right. they can talk sense into you. But if you isolate them mm-hmm. from everyone, uh, then all you hear is what your abuser says. And what your abuser says is that you're a piece of crap mm-hmm. and um, they make you feel like shit. You're nothing and, without me. Yeah. yeah and you'll, you won't leave. So, and Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be physical abuse. It can just be mental and emotional abuse. And yes, it can happen to men. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So family members and other people uh, were convinced that voodoo had something to do with Gray's powers, but I don't think so. I think, well, (laughs) I don't believe in voodoo, but (laughs) also (laughs) that's one thing. But the other thing is... You don't? Sit down. <laughs> I think uh, Josephine used the specter of voodoo as a tool to scare and control people. And I don't Ooh, know wow, if she actually believed in it or not. She might have, but, um, uh-huh. or she might have just used it as a tool or both. Okay. Um, yeah. But I agree with you that uh, I think she was a master manipulator 
And uh, she was a real evil genius. Season two of Evil Genius starring (laughs) Josephine (laughs) Gray. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, now we're going to get into the part of our show that we hope helps you. How not to get murdered. So if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) so uh, this segment is not intended to be victim blaming we thought of this segment because i read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer but in my mind this is not meant to blame the victims it's just learning from other people's mistakes sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips so yes and this was a tough one so yeah i'm gonna just let you take it away, Beth. Okay, yeah. So like Wendy said, this was a tough one. Because she wasn't killing strangers, she was killing romantic partners. And I think what it probably boils down to is that she was abusive and enjoyed having control over her partners. And the best way to avoid becoming a victim of an abusive relationship is to not get in one or to get out of one if you are in it. But that's a very simplistic and it's not, and it's so much easier said than done. Uh, it oh, is yeah. really hard. Oh, yeah. I, I, mm-hmm. I, and I know that. <laughs> Sometimes we yeah. don't even yeah. realize that we're in an abusive relationship until years later, especially exactly. if it's if emotional abuse rather than physical abuse. I mean, physical abuse sometimes is easier because, you know, somebody punches you in the face. You're like, yep, that's abuse. But if it's emotional abuse, abuse, you don't even know. <laughs> And yeah, most abusers yeah, or, yeah. Yeah, are, are really good at manipulation. Yes, they are. So I'm just going to suggest that if you have any questions about whether or not you are in a, an abusive relationship, go to the website, thehotline.org, and check out the link, Is This Abuse? There's a lot of good info there. Poke around the website. There's lots of good info. And if you want to talk to somebody about it, they have a hotline number to call. It's They also have chat available. So if you don't actually want to use the telephone, which I hate the telephone, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) some people like to talk to actual people. (laughs) But if you don't, you can find a safe place to go and and contact these people. Uh, And if you, but if you want to just chat, you can just click the button that says chat now and you can chat with somebody. And we'll link this info in our show notes. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Beth. That is a great tip. I'm just going to say the number one more time in the website, 1-800-799-7233. And the website is hotline thehotline.org. Um, and uh, domestic abuse can happen to anybody. Anybody. Um, and they so- have... And Lots of different, uh, if you click on the the link that says, is this abuse? It has like mm-hmm. um, LGBTQ, um, all kinds of different uh, situations. So uh, yeah, it's for everybody. Awesome. That sounds, that sounds really great. Um, also, I guess uh, if you are not necessarily in the situation, but you know somebody who is, or you recognize um, somebody who is, um, I think uh, 
I was going to say, I, I don't know if there are resources for people who suspect that somebody they know or love might be abused, but just go to Google Isha. I'm sure that I'm sure that there's something, but I'm what comes to mind is a case. This terrible man, his name was Olner Still, and he used to abuse his kids or his wife and have the kids participate and videotape it. Oh, that's and terrible. The what what got him convicted was her coworkers documenting when she would come into the office with like bruises and black oh, eyes wow. and stuff, not the videos. So it, we, we can also be a village and um, just keep an eye out for the people who are um, in our circles and in our families who we think might somebody be needs abused help, yeah. and yeah, somebody might need help and see what we can do to help them. So that's what I wanted to say. All right. Uh, next is listener letters. And um, this is the part of the show where we get to share all the nice things that you guys um, have shared with us, uh, including maybe some not so nice things that we find constructive that we'll use to learn um, to improve further episodes. Nothing like that to report today, um, but uh, hit it, Beth. Oh, so I just wanted to uh, say that Anna from one of the true crime Facebook groups that we're in, uh, she said, um, I'm obsessed with your show. The producer turned me on to you guys. So, so good. And I just want to say thank you so much, Anna. Your comment made both of our days. Seriously. <laughs> Indeed, it did. Thank you so much, yeah. sis. <laughs> Um, all right. So, hey, Beth, where can they find us? Well, they can find us at our website, which is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod, and our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. Also, links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash app, which is cash.me forward slash dollar sign Fruit Loops Pod. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum, even a dollar would help. Mm, amen. So thanks, guys. This is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time. Look alive, guys. It's crazy out there. Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. 
On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? <coughs> or just a horrible accident? <coughs> That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave for your vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins, convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife, and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6000 cash, give us each 3000 we give you this. Uh-huh. You go home, and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done, and that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found.